Bible said, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaidens in those days, I will pour out my spirit. What is Pentecost? When you look at beginning with Joel chapter 2 and verse 28 through Joel chapter 3 and verse number 21, we see future blessings upon the nation of Israel, but yet we see judgment coming upon the nations. The future blessing in reality is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. He said this would happen afterward. After what? Uh, after uh, the blessings that were to be fulfilled uh, in the passages that have preceded the text that we read. It's talking about a future event when the Holy Spirit will be outpoured upon the earth. Again, the imagery here uh, simply says the pouring out would be like a reminiscent uh, then remembering how that the, the rains would fall upon their crops and how it caused their crops to grow uh, during that particular time. Notice also he said, in the last day I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Uh, that simply means exactly what it says, all of mankind. He said the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon your sons and daughters. That's referring uh, to the nation of Israel. Understand also that previously, as we read the Word of God, we see that prophecy was limited by, by and large uh, to the nation of Israel. But with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when He finally would be settled upon this earth, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, we see that young and old, men and women, would receive the outpouring of the Spirit. And we also see that it would come in even to the servant class as well, for God indeed would be no respecter or person at all. In the Pentecostal sermon uh, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit finally came down on the day of Pentecost, Joel 2, 28, 29 was fulfilled. Peter preached from that particular service for that text. The scripture tells us that men uh, thought they were drunk with wine. Here it was in the upper room, the 120 had gathered, the Spirit of God outpoured upon them. And the people in the streets thought these men are drunk with wine. But Peter comes out and says, they're not drunk with wine, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. I believe we're living in the last of the last days. And if the Holy Spirit was poured out at the beginning of the last days, that to me proves we are at the last of the last days. If the early church needed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, if they needed the anointing, if they needed the unction, if they needed the wisdom and the gifts of the Holy Spirit when the church began, how much more do we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues since we are now living in the last of uh, the last days? I remind you that Peter said uh, that all that repent except Jesus, this promise is unto you, unto your children, to as many that are far off, even to as many as the Lord your God shall call. I want to remind you that the Holy Spirit is much more uh, than the third member of the Godhead. Uh, the play, the, the, his place in church growth and in development goes far beyond uh, his position in uh, the Godhead today. The Holy Spirit is sent from the Father, obtained by the Father, but Jesus Christ is the one that pours out of uh, the 
Holy Spirit. He said, it's expedient for me that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit cannot come. But if I go away, I will pour out my spirit upon you. Uh, Jesus said when he was on the earth, he said, I am with you, but I'm going to go away. And the Holy Spirit is with you, but he shall be in you uh, not many days from now. So again, the Holy Spirit uh, is moved upon the face of the earth in Genesis 1. But that same Holy Spirit moved upon the day of Pentecost, uh, baptized those people, filled those men and women, and gave them a power, gave them authority, gave them everything they needed to live godly in Christ Jesus the Lord. It was more than a tag on the door that said Pentecost. It was the Spirit of God inside the door, inside the lives of those people that indeed made them Pentecostal in everything they did and everything that they said. With that being said, let me remind you, uh, the Holy Spirit abides with us. Thank God for that. The Holy Spirit glorified Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit moved them out to witness, and the Holy Spirit is our teacher and guide. He is our comforter, and I rejoice say, knowing today he's the glorifier of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is the reprover of mankind. He empowers us that we might be able to witness, and thank God by him we have been sanctified and satisfied by the power of God. The Holy Spirit moved upon holy men of old and they were able to give us the written word of God. But now the Holy Spirit moves upon us and works within us that we might boldly proclaim uh, the word of the living God. And as we preach the word, as we sing the word, as we testify of the word, uh, as we preach the word of God, he said the Holy Ghost would confirm the words that we are speaking uh, simply because Jesus Christ is glorified. I believe the enemy of our soul for one thing and unbelief another has hindered God from being who he is and hindered God from doing what he wants to do. Even Jesus said when he went into his hometown he said he could only heal a few sick folk because of their unbelief. Uh, they could not recognize that he was the Savior. They still looked at him as the son of Mary uh, and the son of Joseph uh, Carpenter. But I want to assure you if our faith will be activated in God's word, uh, if we will be full of the Holy Spirit and allow him to speak to our hearts. He will still confirm his word uh, with signs to follow. I don't know why it is, but in America, we have more difficulty of God confirming his word than we do in third world countries. We can go in a third world country and simply say, Jesus loves you, come accept him, and miracles of salvation happen again and again and again. Could it be that we become so gospel hardened? Uh, could it be that we become so familiar uh, with the things that are holy? I don't know, but I know one thing, if we still have faith in God's word and if we're still full of God's Holy Spirit, he said these signs shall still follow them that believe and I believe that tonight. Amen. This comes to mind, I shared it years ago, but it comes to mind right here, right now. Uh, when I was in college or my, working on my doctoral program, Reinhard Bunke was one of my professors. Many of you have heard of him, a tremendous evangelist throughout Africa. And one of the things that we had to do at the end of the class uh, was stay on a Friday night at one of, the, uh, one of the churches up in Virginia Beach, Virginia. We normally come home on Friday night, five-hour drive for me, but I had to stay an extra night. And he was going to conduct a service at that church, a Pentecostal Holiness Church, just like he did in Africa. In Africa, people would come to the altars. People would be saved by the thousands. Blind eyes would open. Death ears would unstop. The miracle of God happened. When he gets to that church, we sang our songs, we went through our preliminaries, and he got up to preach. He gave an altar call, and we sat there like warts on pickles. 
And you could see the hurt in his eyes. You could see the frustration in his mind because he did the same thing right there that he had done in Africa. In Africa, it was mixed by faith and they got what they went for. And in America, we sat there and received nothing. And here we are, spirit-filled Pentecostal preachers. And yet when the altar call came for healing, whatever, nothing happened. And I could still see the frustration of that man's face. Why does it not work here? And I still believe because of our unbelief. We have become so accustomed to doing church and so accustomed to having church and knowing when to stand and when to sit and lift hands and the songs that we sing. And it takes us up to the edge of the holiness of God into the holy of holies. And then we allow ourselves to slip back out and say, boy, we've had a good service. Friend, I don't need a good service. I want to meet a great God. And I still am a firm believer that if we preach the word mixed with faith, it still brings results. And if we're full of the Spirit of God, he will confirm that word with signs to follow. Thank God the Holy Spirit today affirms our relationship to Jesus Christ that we are his children for his spirit bears witness with us that we are the children of the Most High God. Now friends, when we understand tonight uh, the Holy Spirit, uh, the tremendous and far-reaching ministry he has, we can under understand better what Jesus said in John 16, 7. But I tell you the truth. It's your advantage that I'm leaving for if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. As long as Jesus was with them, they did not have or need the Holy Spirit. Up to that point, they had been observers of all that Jesus did. But with the coming of the Holy Spirit, he wanted them to be participators in what Jesus was doing. Up to that point, they had heard the word of God, but now he wanted them to proclaim the word of God. Up to that point, they had been in ministry with him, but now he wanted them to be equipped that he could minister, we could minister for him as well. This brings us to the question, what's Pentecost? What's Pentecost? It's more than the doctrine that we adhere to. It's more than a once a year event that happens on the calendar. And Pentecost is much more than what happened in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2. What is Pentecost? First of all, Pentecost is provision. John 16, 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper so that he may be with you forever. There's provision. Jesus Christ knew the men that followed him. They, he knew their weakness. He knew their temperaments. He knew their shortcomings. He knew their problems. And he says, you've got to have something more than yourself to overcome the obstacles of yourself. Sometimes we can't do anything for our own self. You realize that? I don't have the, the, the wisdom to preach. I don't have the boldness to knock on doors. I don't have the guts to go up and walk, witness somebody I don't know. But when the Holy Ghost rises up on the inside, I feel like I can run through a troop and jump over a wall. You know why? Because he gives me all the provision that I need to do everything he's asked of me to do. Here is something I don't understand. How in God's world can we be Pentecostal in name and how can we be Pentecostal in doctrine and how can we be Pentecostal in experience and we fail to witness witness to people outside the walls of this church. There's a disconnect there somewhere. You say, well, I'm scared. I'm timid. Then you get fed, baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire and you'll have the I can't help it. Yes. Remember when you're in love with that gal or that guy you were dating? Her mom and dad couldn't throw you off that porch, front porch enough at night. 
And you got home, the first thing you did, pick up the phone and you called her up because you missed her on the way home. Why? You just can't help it. You're in love. Something happened to her. I just can't help it. Something's happened. Friend, I can't live on the experience of Pentecost that happened to me five years ago or 40 years ago, as wonderful as that experience was. I have got to have an up-to-date encounter with the Holy Spirit of God. You don't get one dose and you're done. There is only one initial baptism in the Holy Spirit, but thank God there are many refillings. And people say, well, my cup is full, preacher, then ask God to give you a bigger bucket. Because there's a whole lot more of the glory of God that he wants to impart in this last day. We've got to be a people that have a provision. And the provision does not come from our education. It does not come from our experience. It does not come from our heritage. It's got to come from the Holy Ghost of God himself, from the very throne of God. He said he is our provision. Only the Holy Spirit can transform those men and make them fit to be representatives of Jesus Christ and the kingdom that was to come. Pentecost is promised as well. While teaching from the Mount of Olives, prior to the ascension, Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. And then in Luke 24, 49, oh, there it is. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but you stay in the city until you be clothed with power from on high. In Luke eleven thirteen, 13, he said, if your father's being evil, know how to give good gifts. How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? That's it, just ask. And yet, we are our biggest enemy when it comes to receiving from God. We are, I just say you, I said, we are our worst enemy when it comes to receiving from God. We get in the way, we trip all over ourselves. We, I, I remember the night I sought the Holy Spirit baptism after I got saved. First of all, when I first started going to church, Assembly of God Church, I was as lost as a ball in high weeds. I went to that Assembly of God Church, first time I was ever exposed to Christian, true Christianity. I'd gone to a little nominal church most of my life, few of them, but never learned anything about the Lord, never learned anything about the moving of the Spirit. It was just dry, 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 drier than a Texas windstorm. But I went to that Pentecostal church and I saw people preaching and loving God, hands lifted high. I didn't understand how in the world, everybody, how the Lord heard everybody praying at the same time. Didn't understand what the shouting was about and the praise and the tears running down their cheek. I didn't understand all that but I knew it was real. When I heard utterance in tongues, I knew it was real. Nobody had to tell me what it was. I heard prophetic words come, I knew it was real. Hair on my back stood up. I knew it was all real. But I said, Lord, if this baptism of the Holy Spirit's for me, I want it. And I studied the scriptures. I said, I don't understand. Is it for me or not? And I studied and said, that's just for me. That's for me. I want it. And I'd get in prayer lines again and again and again to no avail. And I'd go home beating myself up saying it must not be for me. I must not be worthy. It must be sin in my life. You know the rope reel, don't you? But one particular night, I was so tired. And I mean, I was wore out. I, we had a revival. Johnny Masto, John Masto, a little Italian guy. Some have heard this story. John Masto was the evangelist. I went on Sunday night around those altars just praying tonight. I wanted, oh man, nothing happened. I go back the next night, nothing happened. Went back the third night, nothing happened. Went back on that, I guess, a fourth night, Wednesday night. I went around the altar and did my little whatever. I went and sat down. Brother Master said, he thought my name was Jimmy. 
Come on to Jimmy tonight or your night. I said, I've already been around the altar. Nothing happening. Come on to Jimmy tonight or your night. I said, Brother Master, I'm tired. Come on to Jimmy one more time. When I'm tired, come on to Jimmy. Jimmy one more time. Jimmy, come on. Up. I didn't want to go. I walked up there in that altar. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Next thing I know, I got out of the way. I was too tired to think about what I was doing, to be honest. I was too tired to talk myself into anything or out of anything. But I learned to yield that night. If I could teach you how to yield, I'd be the most sought-after man in all of America. I just simply said, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, I love you. And sure enough, <laughs> it was wonderful. I started praying here. When I came to myself, I was over there. And I went, what happened? And I know that I know that I know that the promise of Pentecost was fulfilled in my life. I had to get out of the way and simply take God at his word and he did what he said he would do. Pentecost is also prophecy. In Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 3, we get that up there real quick, please. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And then in Zechariah 12:10. He says, and I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and a pleading so that they will look at me whom they pierced and they will mourn for him like one mourning for an only son and they will keep bitterly over him, weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. Now this event spoken here may follow uh, the church age which takes place at the rapture of the church. This these scriptures may be fulfilled in the millennial reign of Christ, but it is also one of the main beliefs that we have that we are in the last day and he said he would pour out his spirit. We also know that Joel chapter 2, 28 through 29 has already been a prophetic word that has already been fulfilled. So Pentecost is prophecy, but it's prophecy that has been fulfilled for the glory of God. Pentecost is power. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he simply said, but you shall receive what? power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses both of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and as far as the remote part of the earth itself. Now here the Greek word martyr translated witness is used occasionally in the New Testament for those have witnessed under the anointing of God to the point of death itself. Witness and martyrdom are words that are synonymous many times, a same word in the Greek language. To face the opposition that we're going to face in this world, to face the enemies, to face the atheist, the agnostic, to face the demon-possessed and demon-inspired people, we have got to have something greater in us than is in this world. And the Bible said that the Holy Spirit of God is the one that comes in. Even to conquer our own passions and to conquer our own lusts. Friend, I'm here to tell you, it takes the Word of God. But many times we want to blame our problems on the devil. We want to blame our problems on the church. We want to blame our problems on our mom and 
dad and our brother and sister and our wife and husband. We want to blame our problems on the preacher. Why don't somebody pray for me? Let me tell you something. We've got to take responsibility for our own life. I couldn't heal a fly if it had a headache. But if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, and if you're baptized in the Holy Ghost of God, and you've got the Word of God, you are without excuse for not overcoming because He's given you everything that you need to live godly in Christ Jesus the Lord. I'm sick and tired of people blaming everybody else except for themselves. We need to be full of the power of God that we might be delivered from the bondage of sin, the control of sin, and the wages of sin is under the blood and Jesus Christ can set us free. We want to send people to all the help groups in all the world. They didn't have help groups in the New Testament. They had men and women full of the Spirit of God and they laid hands upon them and things happened for the glory of God. I believe that we're counseling demon-possessed people today when we ought to be casting the demons out of people. As a weak one, but I believe it anyway. The weak need his strength. The faltering needs his courage. The foolish needs his wisdom. The double-minded needs strong conviction. The timid need boldness. And friend, I'm here to tell you, all this and much, much more comes as the Holy Spirit of God comes upon us. We're able to stand against our enemies. We've got to have a power to face the cunning hand of the enemy of our soul. We've got to have the power of God and the wisdom of God to circumnavigate ourselves through this world. We've got to have the power of God to contend with the faith that we not compromise in this lukewarm generation in which we live. And by the same token, the power has been accorded to them as long as they maintain a vital relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. We need an up-to-date experience with the Spirit of God. Pentecost is also praying. I believe that prayer is almost synonymous with the Holy Spirit. Paul exhorted the Ephesians, with every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be alert with all perseverance and every request for all the saints. In Jude 20, he said, but ye beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Spirit is one of the greatest levels of prayer that we'll ever come to. Praying in, look at that preposition, praying in. Look to location. We're in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us. We're entering into the realm of the Holy Spirit. It's not like he's out there and we're right here. We're praying in the Holy Spirit. We're in the realm of the Holy Spirit. When we don't know how to pray, he prays through us. When we don't know what to pray, he's the one that knows the mind of God. Paul himself said, if you remember here, that, or rather Jesus, he said what? Abide in me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you will and it shall be done. This is not an in and out, and this is not a particular off and on experience with God. The, we're in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us, and therefore we can pray in the Holy Spirit. I think one of the problems we have, we are, we, we, we're fearful that we don't abide in Christ. If you abide in me, if we are in the Holy Spirit, ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you abiding in the Spirit of God. Some of our prayers not answered because we've not, abided, we've not been able to abide in Christ. We're not praying in the Spirit. Paul added this enlightenment in Romans 8, 26. 
Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Wow. Sometimes I'm just too unspiritual to pray. Sometimes I'm just too unspiritual to pray. Anybody else? But when I don't know what to pray, and I don't know how to pray, when I have been numb from here up and from here down, and I don't know what's going on, I get in the presence of God and I pray. And sometimes praying in the Spirit, I may be there five minutes or an hour. I don't have a clue what I've said because it's the Spirit praying. When I get up off my knees, I know I have prayed through and I've touched God. And friends, in today's circle of Pentecost, we pray till we get through. But I'm telling you, we need to pray until we pray through, until we have that peace that floods our heart. We may get up off our knees and we may not know the answer, but we know it's going to be all right. I remember when I was between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I'd go home in Virginia in the summers and work in the church, had prayer meetings at six o'clock in the morning. People were coming off the streets getting saved. I'd go in hospital and lead a person to the Lord in this room, lead a person to the Lord in that room. I didn't want to come back to college and learn adverbs and adjectives and pronouns. Last thing on my mind, I still didn't get a good education when it came to that. It wasn't because it didn't offer it. I just didn't absorb it. But I said, I don't want to leave this revival. I don't want to leave my family and my friends. I mean, this is, this is good stuff going on. Preaching was good. Church was growing. People getting saved. People being healed. I mean, we were in a revival. And I was torn. But I went to that little old basement of that church, and I prayed in the Spirit. And I said, God, I don't know what to do. But when you pray in the Holy Spirit and leave with him, it's amazing the doors that he will open, the doors that he will close. And the Lord spoke to my heart later and he said, basically, good is the enemy to best and you're selling for something good here and I've got something better for you there. One of the worst years I ever had at college. One of the worst semesters of my life. But I'm so grateful I stayed and I took the course. You know why? Because God said, better is coming and it has and it did learn friend when you don't know how to pray don't bear that burden alone you don't need to call up dear Abby you don't need to call up a psychic hotline you've got a line right to the throne of God through the power of the Holy Spirit Pentecost is about praying also Pentecost is about purging the purpose of Jesus coming to this earth is that he might secure a bride who would be without spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming. But by the same token, the writer of Hebrews tells us, or let me say, first of all, Paul tells us uh, in, the, in the Word of God uh, that he's going to bring that bride. And then the writer of, of Hebrews tells us, the fall of peace with all men and wholeness without which no man will see the Lord. Sin is always judged. And the Holy Spirit judged sin. It purged sin out of the early church. In Acts chapter 5, remember Ananias and Sapphira? They lied to the Holy Spirit. And because they lied to the Holy Spirit, they were killed dead. Aren't you grateful that God does not judge sins in the world and the church like that today? There would be corpses from the pulpit to the back door in every church in America. It's the rule of first mention in the Word of God. 
Now, the thing about this particular judgment of sin is not so much that they were judged for the sin. What intrigues me was the church was living in such a holy fashion that such a judgment was needed for the church. You ever thought about that? That they were living in such a holy walk with God that such a sin needed to be judged. And then you know Elymas, or Elymas, whatever name you pronounce him, uh, the sorcerer, uh, he was struck blind because he opposed Paul's testimony. He, he was struck blind, which tells me that the Holy Spirit purges. He purges. John the Baptist said that earlier that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Fire purifies, fire cleanses, and fire purges. I thank God that I serve a God tonight that if I get out of line, he can slap me and bring me back in. If somebody said, I'm being chastened by the Lord, you just confessed your sin and God's taking you to the woodshed. Because God don't just line us up and beat us to death just for the heck of it. Had some friends back in the mountains, every time they got going on the trip, old Roger lined his three boys up, take his belt off and wear them out before they got in the car. Why'd you do that? He said, you're going to need it on the road. And I didn't want to stop and pull you over then. So he just gave it to him. God doesn't work that way. Pentecost is also preaching tonight. <laughs> Pentecost produces instant preaching. The disciples preached with power on the day of Pentecost, and they were reassured by the Old Testament analogies that Jesus was who he was, and through the New Testament confirmation as well. Prior to Jesus' death on the cross, some of those men were living in the shadows and living behind closed doors. When Jesus died upon the cross, and right before when they arrested the Garden of Gethsemane, they all ran their separate ways. Some followed from afar, et cetera, et cetera. But let me tell you, even Peter denied the Lord but on the day of Pentecost, Peter comes out and he proclaims the first preaching sermon, not far perhaps from the place where he had denied his Lord days before. What changed these men? I'll tell you what changed them. Pentecost changed them. The power of the Holy Spirit coming down upon them changed those men. After Pentecost, they were confronted uh, with the same, same people and said, you with wicked hands have crucified and slain these God-approved men. Let me tell you, when the lame man was healed in Acts chapter 3, they, the, the authorities knew a miracle happened, but they didn't want to say Jesus was the cause of it. And they continued to preach Jesus. And they put him in prison and said, we adjure you never again mention his name. And they said, we can only tell the things that we know and that we have heard and that we receive from the Lord. And then in Acts chapter 4, they go back and they're persecuted, but they get in a prayer meeting once again, and the Holy Spirit's outpoured upon them again. They counted all joy when they suffered for the Lord. And yet they were not intimidated. They, know, they knew that there were obstacles. They knew that there were enemies. They knew there were people out there that didn't like Jesus nor like them, but they went back under the spout and got more power where it was poured out and that they might stand up in the face of all the opposition. That's what they did. They were full of the Holy Spirit. I've got to hurry because I want to come to a close. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, he entered the synagogue and he basically said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. It's not foolish preaching that will win the day. Preaching is foolish to the unsaved. But I believe preaching is anointed, preaching that is timely, preaching that is anointed of God. 
I believe will still get the work done today. It's not about getting up and pontificating something so excellent. I've seen people that were not educated. They wouldn't know an adverb from a hound dog. They had no formal education whatsoever. But when they preached, God confirmed. And I've seen men and women get behind the pulpits that were so polished and so just full of charisma that it just oozed out of them so beautifully. And not enough power in them to heal a fly, they had a headache. What makes the difference? The anointing of God. Pentecost, friends. What is it? It's something we all need. It's something that Jesus died for. And Pentecostal outpouring is what he desires to give to you and to me here in this room tonight. I've said it many times, but where we are in this 21st century, we are heirs, we're guardians of the past. And by that I mean we've been given the baton. We're keepers of the present, but we're architects to the future. And if we take for granted what the Lord has done for us, and if we don't stay full of the Holy Spirit, what kind of a church are we going to give to our children and to our grandchildren? Is it going to be wide screens and smoke machines and all the entertainment that we can give them? I read something last night my wife showed me, and I'm not being judgmental, but I saw one Assembly of God church that every night they're going to have pizza one night on a Sunday night, a movie night another night, and hot dogs and game nights another night. Why? Just to get the people out. Show me. Where's that at? Friend, you want to raise the church up? Let the Holy Ghost have his way. Let the Holy Ghost have his way. I commend you for coming on a Sunday night. But what breaks my heart is Pentecostal people that should know better and Pentecostal people that claim to be for the Holy Spirit have no desire to be in the house of God. And it's not the theory that we have. It's not the heritage that we have that matters. Do we have an up-to-date experience with the Holy Spirit? And if we have that up-to-date experience with the Holy Spirit, we're going to keep coming and keep on getting refilled, and we're going to keep on going and win as many people as we possibly can. Would you stand up?